I would like to offer a few reflections about uh, our fascination for our suffering mind. Um, One, uh, just one observation um, to start. Uh, we, uh, we hear and we read that um, we should look inside. You know, we suffer. Um, we are stuck in some kind of uh, pain, mostly mental, mental torment, mental pain. And... Uh, uh, the Dharma, the wisdom paths emphasize uh, how much um, how much necessary, how much crucial it is to look inside, which is different from <clears throat> always um, looking outside, which is um, much more common. You know, finding faults uh, here and there and um, not looking at the roots inside. So we like, we like this idea after some hesitation maybe. Oh, looking inside, yeah. And uh, maybe, however, that after some enthusiasm, um, we see that uh, it's not that easy it's not that easy. We are still convinced that we should, sure, we should look inside. And, uh, but we keep looking outside. Now, um, a simple reflection can help, at least it, it, it did in my case. And very simply is that all the causes, mental causes, you know, with their vast ramifications uh, of, of uh, our suffering, are inevitably, are inevitably uh, impinging upon our relationship to meditation. It is not that there is ambivalence, there is... Uh, uh, you know, mistrust, there is a, a, a great inclination to aversion for this, that, or the other. And, however, the area of meditation stays crystal pure. Uh, how could that be? How could that be? Inevitably, all this stuff transfers into our relationship to meditation. So we, we should take that into account when we start some line of complaining or things like that. It's inevitable. And the idea is, you know, waking up more and more to what is happening. It's also called awareness. Meditation, you know, creates a big uh, havoc, or how do you say, uh, 
and it's meant to do that. Where is the peace? We started meditating because we were looking for peace, and here what we got. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I remember someone uh, um, told the teacher told the story of this woman um, asking for instructions, and uh, she got uh, meditation instructions. And then a few days later, she came back and said, "You know, I, uh, you know, I'm finding uh, this and that not this and that problem. Uh, you're doing fine," was the answer. But I didn't ask for this. Yeah, but the, the, the teacher said, this is awareness. I don't care about awareness. I want, I want peace. Uh, we can easily identify with this person. And uh, whenever we lose perspective and start being agitated about our agitation, it's because we assume that we are looking peace, that the peace should be here, and instead we get the opposite of peace. And we start, you know, going round and round and round. So we hear, we hear that the Buddha said, uh, um, I teach only one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. And we don't believe that much, um, this, this sentence, but we decide to, to give it a try. And what we, what we realize sooner or later is that we live as practitioners, we live in a contradiction, because on the one hand, we sincerely want to let go of our mental habits, of our negative emotions, whatever it is that causes mental suffering. And on the other hand, we do not want to get rid of this stuff. Actually, we, we are afraid that we don't practice, of not practicing, and we are afraid of practicing. Have you noticed that? That's the big contradiction. Because if we keep practicing, something is going to change. And uh, uh, how, how is it going to be, the new, the new territory? Uh, maybe it's going to be worse than the one I am in now. So better stay in, in here. So contradiction, um, conflict. And it's there for us to observe it without judging. Difficult. Because... Um, Judging is uh, an enormous addiction that we have. It's extremely powerful. It's, it's just, we exude, how do you, we exude uh, judging. Uh, I mean, unnecessary judging, uh, negative judging uh, all the time. Uh, is a cage, is a real cage. One, one benefit of practice, one of the many benefits of practice, uh, maybe especially of intensive practice, that sometimes we wake up in total amazement 
to this fact. You know, how much energy goes into this incessant conceptualizing, judging, judging, conceptualizing, uh, always hoping that something will come out of it. If just one more judgment, one more thought, <laughs> one more concept, we'll do it. And on and on and on. Now, in, in, this, in this tradition, um, you know, there is the, um, uh, the, um, the, um, the doctrine, the, 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 the concept of proliferation, mental proliferation, papancha. And uh, it's very simple. The life, according to I mind, is a proliferating life, is a proliferating mind. The liberated, the liberated mind is called without proliferation. It's called nipapancha. Papancha is proliferation. Nipapancha is a mind of a Buddha. And it is said that the, a Buddha, Tathagata, enjoys the state of Nipapancha. In case we think it's like being a zombie, uh, <laughs> it says enjoys the state of Nipapancha. This, this state of uh, peaceful and loving silence, inner silence, out of which uh, words which are useful, good, inspiring, necessary, come out. And then again, um, the nipapancha state, and then the, 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 the peaceful silence um, comes back. Do we want it? <laughs> I wonder. Because our main occupation uh, would not be there. So we, we cannot be but hesitant on the one hand. On the other hand, we have, we have a big aspiration uh, towards peace and, um, and lack of this incessant uh, accumulation of judging and conceptualizing. We have this deep aspiration, but on the other hand, we also have this deep addiction. We should take into account that this is the, the situation we have to work on, on, on this uh, scene, on this uh, scenario, on this conflict, very patiently, very gently. It is true that we want freedom, and it is true that we are attached to non-freedom. So the more, the more we practice uh, and the more inner spaciousness uh, we develop. But if we do not cultivate some kind of inner work, some kind of practice, the opposite is true. The um, um, proliferation solidifies more and more the ego, I, mine, the suffering. It is said in the scriptures that um, the pro pro proliferation 
manifest is caused by um, um, self-centeredness. Uh, there are, um, you know, to, to, to make things uh, simple, and manifests uh, and increases uh, self-centeredness. Uh, you know, peace, compassion, wisdom, not a proliferation. There is thinking, but it's not frantic. Can you imagine a frantic, having a, a frantic compassion or a frantic wisdom? Uh, thought is there, but it's not, it's not uh, madly proliferating layers upon layer. It's, it's ego. It's like I mine, which is connected with proliferation, and proliferation which increases this mental suffering. So sooner or later, um, we see that practice is something very vital. You know, it's like, like, uh, like eating, uh, like breathing. And it is not that we're just using... Uh, nice metaphors, um, it becomes our priority. It's not that we make it into a priority. It becomes our priority because we see how important it is. We don't want to stay stuck with this big conflict uh, we are talking about before. And uh, so we start loving the practice. That, that's a, a key. You know, people complain all the time, all the time about, uh, about lack of discipline and this and that. The key is love for the practice. We can have an incredible discipline, but no uh, going inside because we are satisfied about our whatever steadiness and all that. I'm not saying that it's useless. Far, far from me. But discipline should take us to uh, an affection for the practice. Someone said, someone, before the end of the retreat, I find out who this person is. Don't worry. Suzuki Roshi talked about the love of the process of awakening rather than idealizing a point out there in the future where something is going to happen. Once you love the practice of awakening, it won't matter to you whether something called awakening ever happens. The moment you love the process of ending suffering, it doesn't matter whether or not suffering ever ends. That love of the practice of ending suffering will probably be all the awakening that you would ever desire. It will be so far beyond your wildest dreams of what life could be like that it will be difficult to imagine anything more wonderful.
there is another area um, before we go back into the specifics of uh, our fascination for our suffering, which is another aspect of it. And that this, this thing is our conscious resisting the practice. Conscious. It's not that we forget. No. We are in the middle of uh, mental suffering, and we do remember the practice, but we reject it. I still remember this uh, meditator. Uh, we were uh, having a meditation course, a uh, weekly course. And uh, the homework was about aversion, some aspect of aversion. And this person said, uh, at one point I caught myself uh, thinking, uh, I cannot be in peace with my anger because, you know, the exercise was about bringing awareness to your anger. And uh, her reaction was, one cannot even be in peace, stay in peace with uh, one's anger. So awareness was experienced as a hindrance instead of enjoying the flow of anger, you know, this um, um, thing was experienced as alien, as, as um, something not working for us, but against us. So much blind we can become because of identification with our habitual emotions. Uh, obviously, awareness was the stranger. Anger was the dear old friend. So we side with this. We don't side with that. So um, we, we resist the practice. We reject, we reject the practice. And uh, maybe we offer ourselves some wise reflections. Uh, no way. We reject the practice. This never happens to you. In case it does, um, you might have also have a, a had experiences in which you 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 uh, deliberately practice half-heartedly. <laughs> so practice comes out so unconvincing that we feel justified in dropping it. <clears throat> so strong can be the resistance at times. And so strong is the power, the power of habit. If we can, instead of forcing the resistance, which will be obviously counterproductive, if we can just gently turn our awareness towards the resistance itself, making an effort not to judge it, but just, just hold it gently, tenderly, then things gradually change. 
So practice has come back from the backyard. But we haven't, uh, you know, fought the resistance. That's often hopeless. Uh, we've taken it in our hands, and uh, maybe we try to we try to feel the contraction of the resistance, bodily and mental. And we we stay we stay with it. In my experience, very few things increase the love of the practice more than what we're talking about, the holding, holding the resistance affectionately. Why not? Why not? Oh, come on. That's what we say to ourselves. Because we are a bunch of habits walking around. So whatever is different uh, takes time. Now, let's go back to our fascination for our mental suffering, our being hypnotized, identified with it. Um, The practice um, helps us more and more seeing a very rapid sequence, which is reaction, immediately followed by a strong, blind belief into that reaction. This is a very quick and very rapid sequence, very rapid movement. And it happens often many times in a, in a, in a single day, many, many times in a single day. Now, through the practice, we start seeing that there are two things, the reaction and the blind judgment of the reaction. Without practice, without practice, basically we don't see anything, we just react. And maybe we feel guilty after reacting or whatever, but we do not look inside, really. When we do look inside, and that's uh, the gem of the practice, we start seeing. And only when, at that point, only at that point, we can start wondering about believing. Only when we see there are two things. Why am I believing this? How does it feel, this immediate obedience? You know, the the, the good boys, the good boy and girls, the good soldiers, uh, totally obedient to our suffering and our conclusions and our judgments. Immediate uh, uh, adhesion, uh, uh, adhering, immediate. Yeah. I remember uh, Christina Feldman was uh, in Rome last winter 
teaching, and uh, she, she uh, mentioned her father, and she said, I have a rather impatient father. And we were recently in a parking lot, and um, he got impatient. And I asked him, Dad, why, why are you being, why are you doing this? And he said, what do you mean, why? I've always done this. So, it's us. Why are we believing this? Why? Because we always believe this. An incredible power. Um, in the accumulation of moments of belief. You know, it's energy which accumulates over years, decades, lifetimes. So we should, we should go um, upstream. That's the, the healthy path. But that's why it's not easy. The... Um, the road which takes to life is uh, small, as the gospel says. But we can't forget when we begin to see that we can let go of this blind belief. We can let the thought or the emotion be and start listening to it instead of uh, blindly believing and reinforcing it. That's a very, uh, a very crucial turning point. And as I said, we don't, we don't forget. This is what, what uh, uh, feeds motivation. More, more than uh, other things. So we see, you know, this, this works. Huh? We start thinking, oh, we are surprised. Uh, we, uh, honestly, we didn't, we didn't expect that. That it really works. doesn't work immediately. I think this is why many people leave the practice. Because we want things to, to work. We are impatient, like Christina's father. Uh, and so, just drop this. Because such incredible, we want to get rid of this incredible energy a few sittings, a few retreats. Oh, still there. I've been practicing three years and a half, and it's still there. Of course it's still there. But different seeds have been planted. A different inner movement is taking place more and more, turning towards what is difficult, what is uh, Resisting what is fearful, what is aversive, turning more and more, turning towards that. 
Remember the uh, mudra, the, 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 uh, the seal, the, um, the way the Buddha uh, is portrayed in certain uh, statues is like this. And this is the fearless, the fearlessness mudra, abhaya mudra. So turning towards whatever arises is the beginning of a gentle fearlessness which does not mean that fear is not there. Fear is there. But we are less obedient to the fear of the fear. We want to see, we want to look at the fear. Again, why not? We should, of course, be, be, be realistic. If you're talking about big fears, it's going to be uh, slow, gentle, gradual, of course. Turning toward what happens. The, so to speak, the, 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 if we can say that, the, in substituting the activity of believing with the activity of observing, Yes, we have the time to go uh, shortly into a scripture um, uh, about um, this theme. But just before going into it, through the practice, one becomes more perceptive about our inner movements. And uh, so we, we, we start being more awake more aware to the fact that there is this mechanical tendency to grab our thoughts, to grab our emotions, which is different from listening. See, we should stop in order to listen. our deeply ingrained preference for thinking uh, start being shaken. And at times, we prefer awareness. We prefer observation. We prefer listening instead of grabbing. Grabbing thoughts, grabbing emotions. Take refuge into awareness. It, 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 a short time, a, short, a, a few seconds, it's a healthy interval. It's a very healthy interval in which you can, we can realize you know, this, this destructive work that we're doing, this, this uh, 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 blind belief that we are um, uh, strengthening 
That's a very healthy interval. We come to our senses. It will close up again, huh? this, this opening. Fine, but we had it. We won't forget. That's the way practice works. Ups and downs, ups and downs, opening and closing, opening and closing. The more familiar we become to this rhythm, the better. The less idealistic or the less negligent we are. We become more real. I mean, that's the word. The meditation, um, uh, okay, <laughs> it it uh, it'll come. The scripture I had in mind. Is uh, the from from the Anguttara Nikaya, and the Buddha says, "No other, no other thing I do I know, O monks, that is so intractable, so unworkable as an undeveloped mind. An undeveloped mind is truly intractable. No other thing do I know, O monks." that is so tractable, so workable, as a developed mind. And developed mind is truly tractable. And finally, no other thing do I know amongst that brings so much suffering as an undeveloped and uncultivated mind. And vice versa, no other thing do I know that brings so much happiness as a developed and cultivated mind. A developed and cultivated mind truly bring happiness. <clears throat> See, we were talking about attachment to our mental suffering through constant uh, thinking and proliferating. Um, Mark Epstein, who's a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, and uh, a meditator, says... Our endlessly repetitive thinking interferes with our ability to connect with our own world. Isolated in our heads, we yearn for the kind of connection that our own thinking guards against. Again, the big contradiction. The proliferation cuts, cuts us off, makes us disconnected, isolated, but also, this is not emphasized here, our perception gets completely distorted because there is this obsessional uh, self-reference which, which uh, alters our perception, um, you know, sense perception, mind perception. The Buddha, as we know, suggests that the practice should be in what is seen, there should be only what is seen, but we know that this is not the case. In what is seen, uh, there is more. Usually, it's me and uh, other other uh, passages from the scriptures. Um, I highlight this very clearly. It's always, you know, I see this. I am in this. I am separated from this. I like this. I don't like this. So now, 
This kind of mind is called akamaniya, untractable, unworkable, rigid, and is the mind of suffering. It is undeveloped. Well, undeveloped is abhavita. Now, bhavita is, uh, means made to be, is the, uh, the causative uh, form uh, from the being, to be. So, real, through, through the practice, the mind becomes stronger, more real, and loses rigidity. Uh, becomes tractable, workable, instead of being untractable. You know, that, that we're talking about total resistance to the practice. That's an expression of, you know, no way. So through the practice, it becomes, the mind becomes softer, more tractable, If we, if we go to the um, Abhidharma literature, we find that there are 25 positive mental properties versus, or beautiful mental properties, mental qualities, versus 14 ugly qualities. So there is hope. Interestingly, the first two, the foundation, are mindfulness and confidence. This is the foundation. And then a number of them have to do with um, being pliable, being malleable, being uh, serene, now uh, tractable, kamaniya, um, we, we, we mean, when, when, when we say this, this, these words, we can think of um, a mind which is, um, um, you know, ready to learn. Um, now, that's, that's not the, uh, the idea. The idea is that a, a mind which is not stiff, hard, mind and heart have the same word in, in uh, ancient Indian languages. So uh, a hard mind reminds uh, or is the same as a hard heart. Uh, give me a new heart, remember the Bible? Instead of uh, the stone heart it's not sentimental stuff. We're talking about very. I think we're talking about something similar. In other words, a mind which is less obsessed with self-reference, with fascination for uh, mental suffering, with reinforcing constantly mental suffering, is more aligned with the Dharma. That's that's a, a pliable mind. That's a tractable mind. It's more aligned with the high values, which a part of us value so much, wisdom and compassion and peace. So it becomes more uh, pliable, lighter, 
That's another quality. Lightness of mind. When we start practicing, the, the, the duty is to be with the breath and the, the pleasure is fantasizing. But then, fortunately, it goes the other way around. More and more, the pleasure is being with the breath, being uh, uh, with awareness. And the discomfort is this uh, constantly talking mind. So the mind has become more tractable. The mind has become lighter. Sometimes they, they say, the text says also more luminous, more pliant. And it's not fixated, hypnotized, fascinated, again and again. It's more free, it's more creative. Um, since we, we, we find uh, that being unified, say, around the breath is beneficial, we, more and more we do that instead of self-destructively pursuing other, other um, things or themes. Again, if we, when we realize the impact, the weight, the consequences of this constant uh, and out of control train of thoughts, emotions, thoughts, emotions, proliferation, when we start recognizing that the more we feed this flow, the heavier and the less tractable we become. Then we are waking up to something uh, of value. In, uh, in Majjhima Nikaya, in the, in the middle length sayings, um, number 18, it is said that once one doesn't find anything anymore in proliferating, big things start to happen. And the language, the language is kind of uh, very solemn and is collective. It's not about the individual, as it is usually the case in, in the scriptures. It says, then, when one doesn't find anything more, uh, anything any, uh, uh, in, in, in the uh, proliferation, this is the end of resorting to rods and weapons of quarrels, disputes, recrimination, malice, and false speech. Here, these Evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. Peace, freedom. But it says, whatever is uh, conflict, quarrels, wars, come to an end. 
Oh, may that day come for all of us. Can we sit for a couple of moments? <laughs>